and you can only put so many walking ballistas into one cube. What unless? Mm-hmm. We, we take this eight cogwork librarian theory a little further. Go with eight walking ballistas. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that on the main part of the podcast, right? Our eight cogwork librarian. Eight cogwork. That card is so cool. Uh, people who only get to draft online are really missing out. That's like the best card in all conspiracy, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, we've probably had the most fun with it out of like all yeah. of the, you know, cer- certainly more than was Palace Jailer originally conspiracy. Yeah, I was. So we've certainly had more fun with Cogwork Librarian than anybody has had with Palace Jailer. So. Palace Jailer, Dak Faden. Dak is cool, but it doesn't give you the experiences like Cogwork Librarian yeah. does. Cogwork Librarian is funny. Yeah. It's a nice card. I also just really like the art i like the thought process that went into the design of this robot with like the scroll slots on its back and the like the dump truck carrying books all the cogwork things are so weird in conspiracy because it's like it's basically italy is what the plane is Mm -hmm. but there's also like some robots well but they're kind of like da vinci robots right oh yeah i could see that that's good world building i didn't make that connection yeah, they're very like flowing, swoopy kind of automatons. Even the construct defenders look like that too. <laughs> the the defenders. Oh, from Doretti or whatever. Yeah, they're on a lot of cards, but Doretti's definitely the the one you think it's of. It's the only one I would be able to name. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 208 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Ruppel, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee! Hi Chris! We didn't have any show notes, so I didn't even need to check to see if you were pranking me with the uh, episode intro. Don't have a lot of context with which to prank you though. Like, what would I say? Well yeah, there's nothing going on right now, so how could you possibly give me we're just the spikiest podcast we got nothing else this week we're more or less the semi spikiest podcast i don't think that works as a sentence well i don't know like our cube play is pretty spiky we are relatively cutthroat in our you know i I guess it's just that we're playing cube with pretty strong players generally we have a very high elo in our yeah. cube games <laughs> i i like our uh our points chart we're just like each person has won one cube so far <laughs> Yeah, we we have like a, a leaderboard, a trophy leaderboard we put together for our cube discord, and no one has two trophies yet. That's hard. <laughs> Winning matches in this group is tough. I thought about doing like uh, 0.01 points for a second place. So oh, that just, if you're, just to track it, yeah. Yeah, so that you could track your second places, but I just didn't do that. Well, and yeah, like if you started at this point and you hadn't been tracking them, then it's tough to go back and figure out who got second in every cube. Yeah, there's no way I would be able to remember. Yeah. But I got second this weekend. So, I, you know, I feel like we should go back and modify the system. And I think I might have another second in there, too. So uh, I, don't, I don't have seconds. I only have firsts or eighths. <laughs> the, the shame points. I don't know. 
does anybody actually how many people actually keep playing at o2 and then track that they've lost their last match and like, well, I don't played wanna, it against the other o2 <laughs> like, i don't want to deprive someone else of their third match <laughs> if they like like their deck and they're like want to be one one or whatever because after your o2 you don't really care who you play against anymore right right so but, but that's what i'm saying is you rarely have the o2 versus o2 match to decide actual eighth place in the queue <laughs> we're gonna have to make that a house rule force you to play your o2 match i mean that is true spike cube where you just like record force, it for somebody to like get the shame point at the end of the cube here we're watching five color mid-range versus white blue aggro neither <laughs> of these archetypes are supported <laughs> i don't know i feel like the a very common o2 is also like the black green deck that just like didn't get the planeswalkers and so it doesn't have any way to convert its mana into effective things. Yes, the rock is a really... It's usually a deck you're like, oh yeah, I've got all these good cards, but then you don't have a, a real coherent strategy, so you lose all the time. Right. Like, it's fine if you end up with, like, you know, Grist, Nissa, a good Garrick, a good Black... You need, like, four Planeswalkers, and then it's okay. But if you don't have that, then it's like, oh, what are we doing here? But anyway, what are we talking about today? I don't know. What are we talking about today? <laughs> I don't know. So there, we didn't make show notes because there's really nothing going on. I know like multiple podcasts have done AMA episodes this week because, you know, we're in this dead zone that would already have been kind of dead. The only thing going on would have been that Historic Horizons came out. And so podcasts that care about Historic could do Historic stuff. But uh, that got delayed, so we kind of got nothing. So we're just going to talk about what's been going on with us, magic-wise and maybe otherwise. This past weekend, we played in a modern tournament, a paper tournament, which may be the last one for a while. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and we cubed, and I don't know, was there one other thing we were going to talk about? Or we just, I mean, I want to talk about Cube generally. This I solicited episode. some questions. So if we okay. have stuff to talk about, we've got just a million questions we can answer about all sorts of stuff. Cool. Sounds good to me. A potpourri episode. Yeah, the, the potpourri episode. Uh, Simon is currently making his way in through the door that I didn't close all the way. I just like halfway shut it. So now he's like headbutting it to try to finish opening it to get into the room. Does he know how to open closed doors? He knows how to open bathroom cabinets. So I think oh, he can right, figure yeah. out doors as long as they're not actually latched. Doorknobs are probably still pretty tough for cat paws, though. Yeah, no real way to grip it, right? Yeah, not... The opposable thumb is pretty necessary there. What do you want first? Modern cube? Yeah, why don't we talk about like our modern tournament first and then we can like wax poetic about cube for as long as we feel like. Nice. That's what I was going to suggest. Cool. So we played a local tournament at our, you know, pubby sort of game the store. The tavern. The tavern called Gamers Geekery, which is a name that I can't really get behind. I just don't like that particular like set of naming conventions that led to that but the store is really good so it is you know. yeah they ran a cash tournament uh, which i i really liked most of the structure of i you know 25 dollar entry and then they just took like a two dollar rake from each entry and then redistributed the, the all of the rest of the money mm -hmm. uh no top eight though which you know as a very i want to 
split or battle I, I it was kind of weird to get my prizes determined by opponent match win percentage at the very you know as the very last thing that mattered in the tournament like top four had all all had five and one records but i got 175 dollars less than first place based on tiebreakers uh which i don't love it's weird because you would expect there to be either a top eight or a flat payment for mm-hmm. like record. record based yeah but that's not the case it's just like kind of a payout like you expect for top eight except for there is no top eight yeah so we may offer some advisory opinions if they were even going to do more of these which like honestly i'm not sure if i'm going to go to anything else at this point things have gotten really bad in the past yeah, the week yeah they've been yeah. pretty bad i uh, yeah i don't mind giving them some advice or like just feedback feedback i guess yeah yeah because i i don't think they want to do a top eight which is fine. Yeah. I didn't really want to play a top eight. Like I would have tried to split if there were one. So right. I remember you were not looking forward to playing the top eight and being right. there for longer. And then I, we're like, oh, I there's wanted no, there's to no, go no, home. There's no top eights easier. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like fine with not playing the top eight, but did not love my finish being determined by tiebreakers. But, sure. You know, normal stuff, normal opinions. I feel like. But it was a modern tournament. We both took our favorite Cascade-based decks to the modern tournament. Well, Cascade is just so strong. It's really strong. Like it's, yep. Shardless Agent into free spells are incredibly busted. It's it's really good. Uh, and, and I mean, like three of well, two of the best decks and a deck that people don't expect, and you can just completely surprise them with are cascade based decks like is it cascade is a pillar of the format the way we used to have like big mana decks thoughtsies decks artifact decks and like spelled you know as like pillars of the format now it's like cascade decks is one of them ragavan De- dragon's rage channelers is another one urza saga is another one of them Luris, uh, etc yeah. yeah yeah i took blue living end to a uh spectacular incredible skill-based five and one finish you took cascade to a heartbreaking really just disappointing unfortunate four and two finish really just leagues and leagues worse so i'm i'm so sorry about that particular performance of yours yeah it's really surprising just the vast amount of skill disparity in one match event Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) but you know the the numbers don't lie you know i i won four times as much money as you did which means i'm four times as good as you are so yeah i mean that's just numbers i can't argue it it does really hurt that first place was 2.75 times as good as me uh that is also a vast skill disparity you'll have to cry that into your uh your money (laughs) i played the glimpse of tomorrow the the warp worldy one not Mm -hmm. just generic cascade because I was going to play Hammer Time, but then I wanted to just have some fun. And honestly, if I would have played... I, it's hard to imagine me actually doing that much better than I did. Because all of my opponents were just super prepared for Cascade decks. Like, I <laughs> I played against uh, Infect, which smashed me, trounced me. I didn't have a shot. Right. They don't even need a hate card. <laughs> like, they just and, need Glistener Elf. And all of my other matches, my opponents either had Chalice, Void Mirror, or both. <laughs> uh, that's rough. And I won most of those. 
can't expect that to work out that way if your opponents show up that prepared more often yeah i i definitely should have been like two and four or something like that at this tournament it was very (laughs) silly i didn't even get like particularly lucky to the games i won my -hmm. opponents just got unlucky or played poorly or both yeah yeah i mean definitely there were some solid players there but overall you know this is a local tournament local tournament vibes and uh you know people were not the gunners weren't weren't necessarily out to play so yeah everything we take away from the tournament has to be taken with a grain of salt but you know any tournament results just like one tournament doesn't give you that much anyways so all i can really give is my impressions of the deck that i played and like things that i like about it and don't like and where i want to go from there and doesn't it's not a big deal like if you played against the best players possible or you know a little bit softer competition to come up with like i have these opinions about my deck sure i and I basically played the same deck I did last time. I just had a bunch of Furies in the main deck, which I actually super love because Fury is extremely strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't play against any decks it was really good against, so sure. that kind of sucks. But oh well. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to play against very little Cascade hate, and the even when like some hate permanents did enter the battlefield, they were like very cobbled together sort of things uh you know like i had an opponent put a deafening silence into play against me which only stops violent outbursts and doesn't stop shardless agent from from killing them i had a bunch of force of vigors in my sideboard but i just really didn't need them which is a pretty good indication that you're going to win a lot of matches with your cascade deck because you're generally more powerful than what other people are doing if they don't play the easy ways to stop you yeah, it's super nice to just almost resubmit your game one deck against an opponent you know just doesn't have sideboards. That feels so good. Yeah, and I was doing a little bit of reading my opponents to try to determine like what they were, you know, how prepared they seemed to be for this, including like how dismayed they were by the matchup as they were like looking at their sideboard. Uh, so, you know, it was not a super competitive tournament, but still poker facing up has a lot of equity and and I would advise people to work on that a little bit. <laughs> I did hedge in boarding even when I wasn't bringing in force of figures. I generally went up to I was on four brazen bowers in like most post board matches or post board games just cuz it's a great just in case thing. If they lock you out, you can either get rid of a cascade hate permanent for a turn. Or if you draw two Brazen Borrowers and they draw multiple hate cards, you usually just kill them with 3-1 Flyers and maybe a 4-4 Flyer. I, I'm just in love with Brazen Borrower. Still, like, my favorite card from Eldraine. And I'm going to continue casting them for as long as I can. Didn't you say you wanted to kind of try four Brazen Borrowers, or more Brazen Borrowers main deck and not as many Force Indications? Yeah, and that may be just, like sample size bias or something but i just didn't force of negation anything like all day long it just wasn't like a necessary part of the game plan I, the only thing i forced of negation was i cast it as a cancel on an expressive iteration when my opponent had missed their third land drop and then was trying to buy themselves back into a game that they were really behind in and that just locked out the game so that was nice 
you know, I'm I'm glad I was able to counter the expressive iteration, but the matchups that I played, it was not super important and having access to that interaction slash alternative threat thing. Cause like it was really useful to be able to put a three, one flyer into play at the end of their turn, force them to do something about it at some point, And then that does a good job of creating openings for a cascade card and, or maybe like two cascade spells and then one will resolve at that point. Yeah. One of the nice things about these cascade decks is that the cascade cards are only three mana. Mm-hmm. So you can typically, like if they have to deal with one of your permanents, like a Brazen Bar or a Bonecrusher Giant out of the, the Rhinos deck, mm-hmm. you just get to leverage making land drops and then using two spells at once and one of them is a Cascade spell. It's yeah. really strong. It is, yeah. And I I genuinely feel like this Living End deck is really, really powerful and it just felt good to play. And that's partially because like, a lot of my skill points are put into playing exactly this type of deck with like a little bit of weird interaction and then like one critical spell that upends the game. I, I've played a lot of different types of living end and this one feels pretty good. And holy crap, grief is just a nonsense card in this deck specifically. Yeah, grief is nuts. You get to just hold it forever mm-hmm. until you rip part their interaction, play your cascade card, then grief them again so they can't even get back into the game. Yeah, it's just, it's really dumb there. Like, and it makes, like, you have Brazen Borrowers and, and Force of Vigors, which are really good against hate permanence, and then you have Grief, which is really good against any of the reactive stuff, so you can get their, you know, endurances or whatever they have in their hand to stop you from, from getting them. And, or also just, like, if they are a deck that's faster than you or doing something more powerful, like if they're playing Hammer Time, you just grief them as early as possible to make sure they can't kill you. And then once you have the ability to cascade, then it's it's pretty lights out from there. So I did spend some amount of game time during the tournament just like waiting to draw a black card for grief. So I think I'm going to play at least like one monstrous carabit or something to up the black card count just a little bit because it's so important to be, it's the best card in your deck. So, you know, make it work. Yeah. And are you going to like what black cards are you going to up the count to? It's close. You know, I was generally able to get there on grief eventually. It's just sometimes I wanted to get there a little quicker because I was giving my opponent the ability to like, get there against me and maybe kill me before I could clear a hand or force me to cascade without griefing, which is a shame when you have grief in your hand. It's not much. I just want to try like one more black card and then maybe two more black cards if that still feels a little light. So that's just like replacing one cycler with a monstrous carabid at first or something like that. And, and a monstrous carabid? Yeah. You hate I mean, that card. But I don't know that there are better... You know, there's a limited number of options. You can play... Uh, main deck fairy macabre you can play a fourth living end you can put in like an archfiend of ifnir but you're already ma- like maxed on two mana cyclers because you're playing four waker of waves and that card's really good so uh it's a little tough to to get your count up definitely starting with your living ends your griefs your architects of will and your street wraiths it's close but I, I just kind of feel like one, especially, and one thing that I probably need to do is hold my street race a little bit longer. I generally 
if I don't have a thing to use my mana on to cycle, my instinct is, oh, cycle the Street Wraith, find the cycler, don't waste your mana, help dig towards your stuff. But it's possible that I'm supposed to hold my Street Wraiths for a little bit longer because, you know, when you cycle a Street Wraith and hit the grief and then you don't have a black card in your hand, you feel like a big dummy. I have one little note on Cascade decks because I was doing research, and this isn't a it again, but the Rhinos deck, especially because that's like the more popular one, Mm-hmm. Uh, these decks are only playing like 22, 23 lands. That's not enough for a deck <laughs> with zero cantrips or just ice as a cantrip trying to hit their third land drop on turn three every single turn or every single game. Yeah. They just play 24 lands at least. Like, come on. The deck's really powerful. So it's you're getting away with it, but you could just be more consistent and just win more. And I think it's especially important for Rhinos because every turn you delay before getting your Rhinos out is like significant equity getting chopped off of your ability to win with two four fours. Yeah, it's your four four your cascade game plan of the Rhinos deck is so much weaker than Living End or Glimpse where you're just putting in an insurmountable board. Because mm-hmm. uh, we we see like even something like Dothy Voidwalker can mirror the Rhinos right back at you, or Construct Tokens right. can. <laughs> also do a similar job at that you like really need to to be on the board really early the strength of the rhinos deck is in getting them down before your opponent has set up and then having just incredible interaction that's why the only that's why the rhinos deck is the only one that i think can justify even uh sideboarding uh gemstone caverns like i don't think it belongs in, in any of the other cascade decks but in that one like the turn two rhinos is great so it's justifiable yeah that's i didn't really have any super takeaways from my tournament because i just was kind of playing a deck for fun none of my matches Mm -hmm. were super interesting Uh, my opponents kind of just boarded and hate cards and then i either didn't draw them or got to answer them and then won or lost (laughs) like (laughs) that's kind of it but my tournament wasn't super interesting yeah i mean mine wasn't like i don't have a ton of takeaways except for that i i do think i was really really happy to be playing living end again like it just felt kind of right to me the thing that i was doing was extremely powerful and the interaction that i was able to play was lining up really nicely against most people except for my heliot opponent (laughs) where like holy crap your stuff does not work against them i i I griefed my opponent game one and just saw heliod spike feeder and they had played utopia sprawl on turn one there's just literally no way for me to win that game i can't take heliod or spike feeder because then I can never cast Living End because they'll have the other one in play. Living End does not kill Spike Feeder or Heliod because Spike Feeder can just come back and Heliod they can just make have not be a creature. And so it just like sets up this untenable position where they're going to combo and you're going to lose. So that matchup is borderline impossible. I just had to get like pretty lucky and make some weird plays to to convince my opponent of things that I, I mostly got pretty lucky, but yeah, some of those matchups are really tough. Uh, I was going to say Torfer Orb is a card that people are starting to play on their sideboards for elementals mm. and such. That card is really good right now. It hits a lot of stuff, especially yeah. the, the incarnations. Yep, I'm in for Torfer Orb for sure. The problem is if you don't have them already, they're hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> but probably not expensive if you have the time to order them, I assume. that card's yeah, been... I think they're like 10 bucks or something. Oh, it's like pretty decent for Torpor Orb. Yeah, 12 bucks it seems. Yeah. It's only a new Phyrexia. It's the only time it's ever been printed. Interesting. 
that seems like a card that would have gotten some reprints. It's a very like... yeah, it feels like a core set card. Yeah. Nope, just in the same uh, set as Deceiver Exarch. Yeah. Also, have to eat my words a little bit on Void Mirror. Like, I still don't think it's it's certainly not a good hate piece for the things that people thought it would be a good hate piece for. It's just that Modern has become so free spell based <laughs> yeah. that it's really good at shutting down. There's all multiple different categories of decks that wait until turn three and then cast free spells that win them the game. <laughs> the Cascade decks and the the Elementals deck all, all are on that plan. And so Void Mirror is really good against that specific setup and execution. <laughs> and I played against, uh, well, I didn't play against it, but I did see an Eldrazi Tron player out there in the wild. Uh, so if you've got Void Mirrors in your sideboard, it's not like I would bring Void Mirrors to a tournament to get Eldrazi Tron, but if they're already there. <laughs> I hope you drew a cavern. Or your Urborg. Yeah. And then if they do draw the Urborg, then you... It, it feels very bad to have Void Mirror in play. Well, hopefully it buys you. Like, if, if Void Mirror becomes a time walk, I, I think that. Sure. I was watching an LSV stream today, and he was playing the colorless Tron deck. So not Eldrazi oh, Tron, the, but it's like yeah, the Mystic I, Forge one. And his first match he played, he just had uh, Expedition Map into turn three Tron, and the deck looked fantastic. And then... His second and third matches he played, he just like kind of struggled to get Tron and all his cards were really, really bad. And his opponent beat him with like counter spell and Snapcaster Mage. Yep, I play those kind of Tron decks. <laughs> <laughs> They're... Playing colors is really good in Magic. That's the one thing I've, I've learned from Tron exploration. Yeah, colors are strong. No colors is... Mystic Forge is a hell of a card. Oh yeah, that one's great. When you have no colored cards in your deck. But it's it's not enough on its own. Yeah, it really excels that you could play like a Mish's Workshop deal instead of a, a Tron <laughs> yeah. kind of concoction. Yeah, well, the graveyard decks would be better if you could play Bazaar of Baghdad, so... Okay, yeah, know. fair, fair. <laughs> Are we done with Modern? Can we talk about Cube now? Yes, we, let's, we built let's a talk cube. about Cube. Yeah, we built a Cube. Do you want to tell them about this Cube? Yeah, so this is, uh, we, we built a cube together, just taking turns, at adding some cards to it and such. Yeah, you carried a little more of this. I mean, yeah. Especially executed the ordering the cube part of it too, so I do appreciate that. And it's the, the mutate cube, or the kaijube, which is a portmanteau. <laughs> <laughs> but it's based on the mutate mechanic, which is like one of our favorite mechanics that really didn't get enough love because Akoria was actually super cool mm -hmm. but companion ruined it all <laughs> yeah but a, a great draft set and yeah fantastic you know the only black mark on it really is like zenith flare flourishing fox and everything else about the format was quite good yeah it's a lot of a lot of cool stuff to do there's a lot of neat design decisions they made in Akoria, mm -hmm. like to facilitate the the set mechanics it's an all wedge set of animated wedges mutate and human synergy so that you can't like play them together because you can't mutate onto humans mm -hmm. which is a little known <laughs> mechanical thing because not enough people played that learning format yeah and so we really wanted to like lean into the mutate mechanic part of akoria because that's that the mechanic's sweet and it's yes. it's cool the problem is there's just like not enough mutate cards so we ended up putting 
two of almost every mutate common uncommon just in the cube and then trying to build around from there uh and one of the stipulations for this one was that no humans were allowed Uh, i just couldn't have a human in the cube because no one was going to remember that rule (laughs) yeah and and we didn't want to have to like make the constant announcements necessary to get people to not mutate onto their humans and then like somebody catches it three turns later because they forgot so it it just ultimately seemed easier not to have humans in the cube which is interesting because humans are really populous and good in magic right like if you ever go to any pull up any cube you want except for this one i guess and look at the just the first column, the white section. Look at all the ones and the twos and the threes, and they're almost all humans, like exclusively. Right, and a lot of classically powerful cube creatures just are hu- Snapcaster Mage is a human. Eternal Witness is a human. Like a lot of stuff just is a human. Yeah, we would be like, all right, this is a, a wedge card. We need really good mana works. Let's throw a noble hierarch. Can't oh do wait, that. that's human. <laughs> Whoops. So it was it, it was challenging sometimes because we didn't want people to just mutate onto humans because it's not allowed. And the mutate mechanic has so much going on for it in the rules outside of that. Like mm-hmm. there's so many rules, complications that come up with a stupid mechanic. <laughs> like, A, what does it do? <laughs> because like Jay hadn't played Magic during the pandemic, you know? Right. Like, how do you order this card in paper? Like, do I smish it together? Does the text box go on top? What is underneath? What is over? Mm-hmm. Just like the base of the mechanic was non-trivial. And then it's like, what happens if you copy it with a clone? Does it the entire mutate pile? What happens if you Skyclave Apparition? Or what happens if it with persists? Yeah. Or my favorite, like, what if you duplicate it? And if you Skyclave Apparition to mutate stack and you kill the Skyclave Apparition, they might get a 13-13 out of it. So, you know, careful. But this cube is really mutate-driven, no humans allowed, and super wedge-focused. Like, there's a ton of three-color, or two-color, three-color cards for the enemy colors. And a lot of mana fixing for specifically enemy colors like there's hollowed fountains and watery graves and such too mm-hmm. but there's certainly more uh, like i put the five bounce lands but only in the enemy colors mm-hmm. because i didn't want people to get tricked into like drafting oh here's azorius chancery and also hollowed fountain and then never like really get the blue white deck because they're just, at that point they're just kind of forced into jeskai based on how the cube is designed yeah, yeah. And I didn't want people to draft a bunch of like blue-white lands at first and then be like, okay, here's my blue-white deck. It sucks because it's just not supported. So a lot more tri-lands and enemy-colored lands than there are allied-colored lands. Also the thriving lands, which is a jumpstart land cycle. It's a great cycle, yeah. It's awesome. I love it. They're all coming to play tapped. They add whatever color they are. Like thriving grove adds a green, thriving whatever heath <laughs> adds a white. And then when you when they enter the battlefield, you pick a different color, and it also adds that color. Yeah, like it's a coastal tower of your choice, basically. They just really, really feel really good really lands to have in your opening hand. Like you know you're going to be able to cast most of your stuff at that point. It's it's nice. Yeah, and it, some themes in the cube. We're still working on it. We've only drafted it once, mm-hmm. and there's definitely some improvements to be made. But it's relatively medium power level. It's not a like a legacy level or modern level even. No, it's like good uncommon power level basically 
It's like the the rare mutate cards are mm-hmm. among the better cards or the high, highest power level cards in the cube, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And it's not... There's some powerful cards in this cube, like Hogak is in the cube, but you really have to bend to get Hogak to work. Right. So I'm like really fine with that. Yeah, you like not being able to pay for Hogak with mana actually does mean that you have to do something to get it into play in cube, which where it didn't mean anything in a when you can play as many Stitcher suppliers and crabs as you want or whatever. Yeah, and Jay played with Hogak and didn't have the Stitcher supplier because there's just so much that you can do to enable Hogak in this cube. There's a there's good token strategy and there's a bunch of self mill because mm-hmm. Sultai is just really good at that. Yeah. That you can like still play it even if you don't have just the absolute best card to enable it. Yeah. So some successes that I think we had uh, that I think were uh, that I, I I think are true after even one draft. We were successful in making mutate a focus of the cube and a payoff that is worth going for. Like I pretty intentionally, but also just because like. I started off with a couple of good mana dorks, and so that let me chain into this. Uh, but it is what I had wanted to do. Like, I just drafted straight up, like, Sultai Mutate. Just, just, like, lean into it and see if it worked. And if it, like, if I got the Mutate cards and it didn't work, then we'd have to do a lot of rethinking on the idea of the cube. But I got a bunch of the Sultai Mutate cards, and it wasn't perfect. Like, I didn't get the Rampant Growth Mutate guy, which I think is the core of, like, the best Mutate deck that you can build, probably. Mm-hmm. And so I was forced to play, like, the Drain Life Vampire thing in the slot where I would much rather have have that, the, the green card. But even then, like, the payoff of building a Mutate stack, it felt like among the best things you could be doing in the cube and worth focusing your deck around. And so that made me feel really good that that is strong enough and you get rewarded for leaning into the theme of the cube. So a little pat on the back to ourselves for that. Yeah, one of the things I like about mutate stacks is that interactive input kind of feels good on both sides. Uh, we want our mutate to actually be playable, so there's not like Swords to Plowshares or Path to Exile or any super duper cheap removal that just kills everything unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... So like one of the better things to do is like bouncing a mutate stack. And that doesn't feel that bad for either player because for the player who casts the bounce spell, you're getting like 10 mana off the table. Mm-hmm. And for the other player, you have a chance to reassemble your mutate stuff again. Right. Then the game becomes built around like, can the blue player like end the game before that mutate stack gets leveraged again to to do all of the damage uh, another time? And, and so it, it creates like a nice little mini struggle in the middle of the thing like i drafted a blue red kind of spellsy tempo deck and the the red mutate cards are not very good just in general the blue ones are very good uh but i didn't really have any but i was still able to use like the red mutate creatures to pump up my dreadhorde arcanist Mm -hmm. just to get its power above the threshold where i could start casting threes or fives because threat cloud piercer i think it's called the, the Rummager, that's a 5-4. That, that card is nice. Yeah. You want to cast a bunch of spells out of your graveyard with a, a Dreadhorde Arcanist. And ever I had the combo of Everquill Phoenix and Naga, Miss Syndicate Naga, mm-hmm. which is the ninja, if that's a Naga. Whenever it damages an opponent, you create a token that's a copy of it. And if you've mutated onto it, 
it is now a copy it it, it, it copies, copies the whole mutate stack into one one token yeah so like one of the better things my deck did was i would you know lead on some one drop or whatever uh, attack attack get the ninja trigger make a three one and then on my following turn on my turn four i could uh mutate the evercool phoenix onto the first one attack with that then make another copy and it was every time i did that i won the game yeah of course yeah so so like and i think that a good thing so we started doing this and i'm wondering if there's more that we can do so like one of the good ways to offset like the red mutate cards aren't that good like the the blue black and green ones are generally just much more impressive than the red and the white ones for red i think we have some good features with cards like dreadhorde arcanist and Cranko that even if the mutate cards aren't great we have some stuff that's really good to mutate onto and that helps balance things out a little bit uh so i wonder if there are other things out there that we haven't really thought of that could help pick up the power of just like using the mutate creatures as auras almost but you know we we have a start and and hopefully we we figure out a little more to do with that the white mutate creatures also are not like bad but there is a clear theme in a bunch of the mutate creatures where there's like a bunch of team pumping on yeah, the Hunt mutate Master Liger gives you plus x gives all your creatures plus x plus x right. for each time it's mutated yeah there's another one that makes tokens when you Cub- mutate Cub- it. makes the tokens and it's like regal leosaur or something that also pumps the the whole team oh yeah that's the boros one it's hybrid so you can right it can be mono white if you need it to be so i i think that in order to k- keep this a mutate cube we want to keep and we do have a tokens theme in white and red. i think it's there's a and, lot and of goblin tokens in red yeah and so i think it's important to keep leaning into that in order to allow for those mutate cards to be good because i think that's helpful for the identity of the cube so I think that also means like maybe adding a second Cub Warden in there because that is the best of the white mutate cards and helps the other mutate cards be good. See, I'm ahead of you there. There's already two Cub Wardens. In oh, this okay. <laughs> because one of the other, like there's a four drop, four, four Vigilance that just gains you four life when it mutates. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that card's clearly the weakest one. <laughs> gotcha. So I, I just took that one out for another Cub Warden just because it, it made sense with themes a lot more. Mm-hmm. One thing that I am not sure of if it's something that needs addressing or just something to keep an eye on is the power level of creature-based mana accelerants. Like, I took Paradise Druid with my first pick, was really happy to take it, and I just wanted Paradise Druid in my opening hand every single game. It was the best card in my deck. Yeah, there's all five mirror, like copper mirror through gold mirror. And I would happily first pick any mirror out of almost any pack and i would happily take first if it take off color mirror over like a lot of cards if i have some mutate creatures in my deck it's also really hard to have an off color mirror because it's a tricolor cube essentially right so 60 percent <laughs> chance or whatever that it makes one of your colors of mana yeah that that's neat but i mean when we played it everyone seemed to really like it which was nice because mm-hmm. it's I mean, I've never, I hadn't seen, I didn't have anyone to base this cube off of or anything. Like, it, this wasn't a legacy cube or vintage cube where I could just look at 50 other cubes and see what cards people are playing. Yeah. Like, this one just had to be built from scratch, essentially, and also make sure that you can, 
play with the cards in a way that doesn't feel bad to play with the themes of the cube. Yeah. And I think we actually did that. Like everyone seemed having fun. I think so too. Like I wasn't seeing too much like stuff that seemed like, you know, it was negating whole swaths of gameplay or anything like that. And maybe that's kind of a natural result of the power level of the individual cards. Like, you know, nobody's casting Ancestral Recall and just making all of the game seem like nonsense up to that point. So it is a cube that is kind of suited to me enjoying it because I generally enjoy lower powered cubes and the gameplay around like this power level of cards. Yeah, I'm looking forward to updating this one because we got really good feedback from the first the first draft. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely spots I want to improve on. Yeah, what are you thinking about specifically? I mean, there's just like a couple cards in white specifically, I think is a little bit of a weak point. Yeah, because well, always as is. discussed, well, in cube, it's usually black. That's the problem. I guess that's true. But white is white has very specific things that it's good at in cubes. And you have to lean into like the Armageddon's or the, you know, or the palace jailer or whatever. Well, all the good cards in white, or at least all the good creatures, which is what white is the best at. They are humans. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. So it's a lot trickier to do that. Like it felt like cheating when I realized Monk of the Open Hand was an elf and so not you could a get a one drop into there. Yeah, if you can like get a one drop that actually works with multiple themes of the cube, it's like, oh, this is this is nice. Mm-hmm. And and just like little stuff like that. Like there's some exploration to be done. And I hope commander products are kind, because those are those can be really, really good for cube, especially multicolored cards, and especially tricolor cards because <laughs> there's not a lot of those and the commander sets have recently at least been a home for like white cards doing things that they don't usually make white cards that do those things so hopefully we get some of those yeah this cube draft was the inauguration of thorough investigation which is a commander a new commander card uh, it's two and a white enchantment whenever you attack you investigate like with any number of creatures you investigate and then when you sack a clue, you venture into the dungeon. <laughs> uh, so that's just a way for white to get some card advantage in kind of multiple axes. And I asked Will, because he's the one who played with it, how it was. And he's like, yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. Because it it's always a little worrisome when you have a three drop that doesn't do anything and you need to like attack to do stuff or right. draw more cards to do stuff. But it actually, it actually worked. It was like a perfectly reasonable card. Okay. Yeah, and it is also because it's like a couple of different standalone mechanics like we don't have other artifact or clue synergies and we don't have other dungeon synergies but if it matches up with the power level of the cube so that it operates fine on its own then then that is a neat inclusion yeah i'm just like kind of proud of the design because there's a lot of weirdo cards in here like the binding of the titans is just in this cube Mm -hmm. which is a, a saga that mills and gives you a regrowth at the end it's just like weird, cute little stuff like that that I enjoyed just putting in here and seeing what people could do with. Like Ninjutsu is really good with mutate <laughs> because you can pick up your pile or it gives you a body to mutate onto with a really good hit trigger. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of cheat that way. Yeah. And like put a flyer on it, you know, like your Vulpakit or whatever becomes much more relevant. I guess hard to have a Ninjutsu creature and a Vulpakit in the same deck. But I mean, Okiba Gang Shinobi is black, and you can easily draft white black. Yeah. Or Abzan, or yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yeah, I'm also pretty happy with it. I'm looking forward to playing some more with it and 
continuing to update it and getting more feedback. But it's fun. We'll post a list of it in the Discord for anybody who wants to take a look. Or I'm sure we already have it somehow. Yeah, I'll also reply to it on Twitter. It's also in my Twitter bio. <laughs> like I have a link to my if you just go to my my Twitter page, it's Lee McLeo. And my website thing in the bio is just my cube cobra profile and the mutate cube is right there. <laughs> sure. Cool. Well anybody who wants to take a look at it, anybody who has if you have ideas for cards that you think would help us in our mutate cube that we haven't thought of, you know, go ahead and tweet them at us or whatever. That'd yeah, that'd be, be that'd be sweet. But if you suggest a human, I reserve the right to laugh at you. <laughs> yeah. Because if you suggest a human, it's probably one that we already thought of, realized it was a human, felt bad, and then didn't put it in the cube. Or or maybe like it made almost to the final stage and then realized it was a human at the end. <laughs> like, oh, shoot, I have to figure out another card. <laughs> and even then, even after all of this, like just kind of necessarily, we have like two cards that happen to make human tokens just because like Bastion of Remembrance is, is so good and so useful it makes a human token but an enchantment that has a blood artist on it is like like does a lot of things that no other card does yeah usher of the fallen is just like one of the best white one drops yeah. in cubes it makes human tokens i know but it's so good you just can't like cut it you just have to be careful that you don't mutate onto your tokens yep but you know there are no set rules the rule that we made for ourselves was nothing that says human on its type line yeah because that that's really easy i mean it's easy to forget about tokens too but it comes up significantly less frequently than if you just go uh noble hierarch mutate onto it right and at least like saying human in the text makes you more likely to read it and think about the fact that you can't mutate on it than when it's on the type line of the card which you may just not pay attention to mm-hmm. I, I i just love that the five original mirror are just very good in this cube <laughs> oh they're yeah they're some of the best cards in the cube i think i was so happy to pick up uh silver mirror in the like middle of pack one like i'm not unused to formats where a mirror are just really high picks but it has been a while it is really cute because they were like really high picks in original mirrored in draft they were some of the best yeah. cards that you could have like they're basically soul rings right and mirrored in draft and and then bodies for your equipment after you were done Which with, mana with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you wanna do some questions for a little while then? Yeah, let's let's do it. Let me pull up my handy dandy Discord. If you want to talk about flesh and blood, they're just asking about flesh and blood. I know very little about flesh and blood. I think I said on the pod I think I was up on the podcast recently that and I just kind of echo Jerry's sentiments that he aired on his podcast, which is, I, I like playing card games a lot, mm-hmm. but I'm not willing to put forth money and effort without a community. And if this game is going to die, I don't want to be a part of it. So, eh, Flesh and Blood looks cool, but I'm I'm just not going to play it until yeah, it has shown that it is going to be here for a little bit and people are willing to play it. I don't know that much about the gameplay itself, but I do know that I can't really spend the time to get good at a game and also spend the money at another game that has like one to two thousand dollar decks. Like I already have one game like that that I like kind of really shouldn't be involved in. But, you know, I've 
come up with various ways of getting money back out of the game to kind of justify it between tournament winnings and, you know, content production and stuff. So certainly my magic playing has not paid for itself, but I am even farther off of flesh and blood being something that could possibly pay for itself. And the, the prices for flesh and blood are pretty high right now. So I feel like I will buy in if my community and my friends start playing it. And until then, uh, there's not a lot of reason for me to. Do you have a favorite movie? Favorite movies? Do you want to start? Do you have a favorite movie? See, I don't really want to start because I don't watch movies. You don't really watch movies. movies. Yeah. I See, I love watching shows or series because I like the long, drawn-out way of telling a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I can enjoy movies, but they're typically not i don't know i'd rather just watch two episodes of like a 40 minute thing than one movie yeah like i liked memento that's one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. in as much as i can have a favorite movie because it it was a super neat way of telling the story and that movie's old now right came out like early 2000s yeah yeah that's like the first major christopher nolan movie or whatever the first one that everybody yeah i think so yeah yeah I, i like that movie but I don't think it's like fantastic, and I was pretty angry of it at it when I watched it. But it <laughs> let me think about it for a while, and that that was neat. I really liked how they told the story. Yeah, I can't really give like a favorite movie because move different movies you watch for different purposes, and when you're in different moods, and when you're with different people, you know. I, I for the same reason, like I can't pick a favorite book or a favorite poem or anything like that. But movies that I think are like brilliant. And I highly recommend to people to watch when they're in the right place for them. Uh, I just watched The Green Knight this past week, which not everybody is going to enjoy this movie, and that's totally fine. It is a borderline experimental, but super thoughtful and creative and visually stunning version of an Arthurian epic romance. And the performances are just phenomenal and it's weird and there's like multiple half hour sequences with no dialogue and so you have to be ready for this one you can't be going in for like a fantasy epic that is not what this is but if you appreciate kind of like slow burn thoughtful weirdo movies and if you appreciate dev patel specifically (laughs) then then this is a movie for you i thought it was wonderful a little less like inaccessible but I think still incredible movies. Arrival is like my favorite science fiction movie of, you know, probably of all time at this point. That sounds familiar. What What is that one? What's the synopsis of that one? So that's the one with Amy Adams. And she plays a translator who is attempting to understand the language of these aliens who visit Earth. You know, I don't want to give too much of it away, but it delves really deeply into the idea that not only is language a way for us to express our thoughts, but language shapes the way our minds work and the way that we think. And it's a really beautiful way of telling a story. It's based on a short story by uh, Ted Chang. He has two collections of short stories. I think the collection this one is in is Stories of Your Life and Others. He also has a collection called Exhalations, and I would highly recommend reading both of those books of short stories. They're just really interesting science fiction short stories, fundamentally 
powerful, beautiful writing that I highly recommend. So watch Arrival, read anything by Ted Chiang. And then the last movie that I like would really, really highly recommend, it's this movie called Leave No Trace. And it's a father is raising his daughter in the wilderness because he has PTSD and struggles with being a part of society. And it's this wonderful exploration of the difficulty of loving someone and not being able to share everything with them and maybe not even being able to be with them because of things that are not their fault. And it is an incredible performance by the young actress that plays the daughter. And uh, this is a movie that I have watched several times and will watch many times more. Just one of my favorites ever. Do you have any favorite non-MTG podcasts? I listen to mostly socialism podcasts. <laughs> the one that I would really recommend is uh, Trillbillies. And it's not really like a political podcast. It's just like Appalachian leftists talking about stuff. And it, it's a really nice perspective. And it's it's a fun group and, and cool to kind of get a peek into their way of thinking. Non-socialist podcasts. I, I, I like How Did This Get Made? quite a bit podcast about bad movies some really funny comedians doing the podcast and it, it's just it, it's very entertaining i started listening to this kind of socialist adjacent podcast it's more of a history podcast so mm. uh, blowback goes in about the iraq war and history behind it and basically i, I just learned a lot from it it's not really a commentary on like the politics and goings on, so it is, but it's really just a ton of information that I didn't know about it, mm -hmm. uh, which is super cool. I really liked listening to that entire season of their podcast, and they have they're doing another one right now about Cuba, which I have not listened to. I kind of like waiting for all of it to be released and then just listening to it all in a row, so I can gotcha. keep a like a narrative thread. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one advertised a little bit. I, I should check it out. I, I really enjoyed the the first season. Okay. It's, it can be a little... I kind of want them to stop making jokes and get me more information. Mm -hmm. But it's not, like, too bad. It's gotcha. just... I, I just want to know so much. And they weren't getting to the information quickly enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. Cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. Uh, um, least favorite artwork on a card? Uh... That's I, really I feel like you, this is an answer you could have ready, but I don't think I would. Oh, man. I mean, there's a lot of arts that I hate, but usually they need to be in front of me for me to have that right. like, visceral response to them. I mean, I really don't like the uh, harmonized art from the Mystical Archives. I know the Faithless Looting one got a bunch of uh, garbage, but it actually does not look that bad on the full print. The full art is much better, but it really is like a a gallery piece more than... Yeah, it's, it's not in. really a magic card. Right. So as, as far as a project for use on a magic card, I think it is ultimately a failure. But I think it's a very competent piece of artwork. So hard to yeah. say, like, this is terrible. Luckily, I didn't ask me the worst piece where it was, just my least favorite. Yeah. And right now that that Harmonize came to mind because I don't, I don't love that Harmonize. That's pretty fair. It, for me, it's probably Liliana of the Veil. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, I like I think Steve Argyle is just like one of the worst, uh, particularly like his 
like female character arts and Liliana is like bad and we've had like probably worse worse things in that vein in magic but the fact that Liliana the Veil got slapped on like that art got slapped onto just a ton of promotional product and stuff and you just saw it everywhere and it's on playmats and stuff and it's just just bad and objectifying and like super male gazy in a way that it like like compare Liliana the Veil to Liliana Death's Majesty it's like that, oh that artwork's great yes and it's so perfect for the character where Liliana the Veil just is not like Liliana doesn't use her body to, to like that. That's not her character. Like there, there's some like really interesting, awesome female characters that like sexuality is part of their mystique and part of their power. But Liliana's power is like domination and understanding of how to exploit others. And this really like dark shit. It's not like I'm going to distract you with my tits. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that like that's just not part of her character and putting her on the card like that is a disservice to like the cool aspects of Liliana. So he just painted a generic like person essentially. Yeah. Like didn't really paint Liliana the character. Right. And and it it just the fact that it was everywhere and like you still see it when you come up when you look at magic stuff. It's just like why is this still around? And it's so weird too that I don't like how they. I mean, I understand it, but I don't like how they'd never give new artwork to yeah. planeswalkers when they reprint them. They only do it in like promo, promo versions, versions for like yeah. secret layers. Oh, by the way, Teferi, Year of Dominaria, secret layer, perfect. God, that whole secret layer was awesome. The 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 when they actually get to reflect joy on magic cards, I, I think I love like every single card that is just like an actual expression of joy or some sort of related emotion. Yeah. Cause not everyone needs to be killing everyone all the time. Like, come on. Everyone loved Strixhaven. Cause it was like, yeah. Other than the crammed in conflict they put in the story for no reason. Uh, the most horrible thing that happened was like a snow day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You don't need world-ending conflicts. And and that's why, like, one of the reasons that Battle Bond is really cool. Like, this is just football playing, but football playing is fun. People, we love football playing. Yeah, there's a an art, or not an art. There's a card that is, I think it's called Last One Standing, it might be. But it's 1BR, destroy all but one creature at random. Mm-hmm. And you could easily see how that card would be, like, concepted flavorfully. Just, like, some total carnage, and then there's just one person left. But if I recall the the art of this card, it's just like it's just a homunculus who was lucky or something like that, <laughs> just yeah. lucky to be here. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the flavor text of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a goblin. Okay. <laughs> some train all their lives for a shot at the title. Some just get really, really lucky. <laughs> yeah, and you could you could easily see how that card would just be like if it was printed in Apocalypse or Invasion, be like just some Ron Spencer art that's just blood and guts everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But you don't need to, like you can do cathartic reunion and it can be just a man hugging his dinosaur. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Any of the cathartic reunion arts are, are like kind of special. Oh, I think we have to tackle this one, but would you rather have 50 toes or 25 ears? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Are the ears located on my head? I guess that's, uh, that's the entire question. So you can't yeah, really I don't know. explain. So I think the easy 
answer is, well, I, I'd look like a freak with 25 ears and like it would be really difficult to get anything done. But 50 toes is, that would be legitimately disabling. Like you wouldn't really be able to walk with 50 toes and that's tough. <laughs> yeah, I think I would rather slam the 50 toes though. Like, do you know how easy, common, and terrible ear infections are? Or just, like, having that many ears? Yeah, I guess I... But you would definitely have, like, serious secondary injuries from having all of those toes and walking on them all the time. And, like, your stride would be messed up. And so you'd end up with, like, shin splints and, like, knee problems and hip problems and stuff. Well, maybe I have, like, a centipede-type evolution where I just have a bunch of segments of feet... Mm-hmm. And the toes, the toes are just segmented, very flexible. I think I'd take the ears and then hope that they gave me some sort of like really powerful, like sense of like hearing and place so I could like specialize in helping people set up sound systems for like weird shaped rooms and stuff. <laughs> I, I I can't do 20. That's so many ears. Ears are such a pain. I just kind of want to see what that would look like. Where, sure. where would they go? Would I get shoulder ears? Ooh, Jay, Jay asks, who's one of our, our close friends, why have you dragged me back to this infernal game? Uh, referencing that, you know, no one played during COVID and Jay didn't have to play anything. <laughs> and then we started playing again and he started playing and we gave him cards to play. And now he's playing again. <laughs> we didn't trick you or drag you. You just, you're just along for the ride now, Jay. I mean... Yeah, we try to make it seem fun because we're having fun and we want Jay around. So that's 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 pretty much the start and finish of that one. Jay braved a thunderstorm to come do the mutate cube. So, you know, shout out to Jay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we helped him organize his modern cards that we have all borrowed thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cards from Jay in order to play in tournaments. I certainly could not have played in the legacy tournaments I've played in without having Jay as a friend. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> happy to help. Love you, Jay. <laughs> Listen, My Jay, guess... we don't want you to play magic, but we do want you to hang out with us. So yeah. Mike asks about favorite magic, the gathering commercials, but I only know like very few of those. It's like the MTV ones, which are super cringy. There's the org one, the trained org one, I think Steve from accounting or Bob from accounting or something. And then there's the Sir Mixlot one. So I have the answer for this one. Okay. There was a point where they were like getting various creators to do like tie-ins to Magic the Gathering. There is a YouTube animator named Bird who does animations based on these like crudely drawn birds getting themselves into like terrible like 14 second situations and he has uploaded thousands of these like tiny little sketches and sometimes they're a little hit or miss but generally it's just incredible tiny little skit uh and he's like cracking up half the time as he's making it and he does all the voice acting so you can hear it um so but it's just total like lo-fi youtubing that's just a very pure implementation of like internet humor in a way that almost doesn't exist anymore because everything's like memes yeah memes and like co-opted and stuff and every once in a while he'll do a sponsored video that is just very clearly a sponsored video and it's not 
you know, he never tries to like hide anything in his videos or or anything like that. And so he did one for Throne of Eldraine. That's just like one of the better three minutes that you can possibly spend. So uh, search for Bird the Gathering, B-E-R-D on YouTube. That's the best Magic the Gathering commercial. You don't feel bad watching it the way that you feel bad watching some of the Magic the Gathering commercials. Yeah. They just... All the post-arena... Well, the ones from the, like, 90s era, those are just kind of, like, cringe funny. Right, they've got the retro. All the ones, like, since Arena are just... Okay, stop. War of the Spark one has its own, like, goofy appeal where if you like allow yourself to just fall into it and not think about it too much it's like cool and then the gingerbread throne of eldraine one is legitimately great i like the the i don't think that's is that commercial i mean it's definitely an advertisement yeah i mean it's not like a tv commercial but i think we have to broaden our definition a little bit yeah i do love the gingerbread people yeah it's really good Though they make Garrick out to be just completely monstrous, so <laughs> that's really that, what sells the curse, actually. <laughs> yeah, because he was still cursed at that moment in in the the commercial, right? Or in the yeah. ad, right? So, I mean, I hope so. Right. I mean, he's Otherwise, definitely like still a dick oof. without the curse, but I don't know. He takes care of the Kenrits. Yeah, he's there. Their parent at the parent-teacher conferences in Strixhaven. <laughs> oh, I like this question. The top three cards you see in cubes that should not be in them. Oh boy, do I have a list? You should start. Yeah, the first three that easily come to mind are Oko, Opposition, and Treachery. Yeah, good. Treachery because, is definitely one of mine. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about Oko first because that's easily the most egregious one. Oko's just not fun for anyone ever. Like, it's. If you put it in Vintage Cube, but that's fine. It's whatever. Like, it's a Vintage Cube. You're signing up to just have the most degenerate experience as possible and hope to be the Oko person one day. That That's fine. That's whatever. You can do that. Mm-hmm. I think putting it in any other cube is just egregious. Like, you're, you're trying to have fun with your cube, right? So, why would you play a card that instantly. If you're not ahead, you just lose to it. Yeah. Because it and it might take a little bit, but and you're gonna lose to it. You have to be quite ahead to take out the Ogo player and Oko costs yep. three mana. So uh good luck. Yeah, it's it's not great. The other two are less egregious, because opposition is a little more build aroundy, but it's one of those cards where if it works, it's miserable. And if it doesn't work, you're, you're miserable, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> which is not a great experience. And also it doesn't really like, it's not fun or novel to like play deranged tournament and then play opposition. Like you're not super clever or anything. You're just winning the game. <laughs> right. And it really like, you know, it cuts against that, like Patrick Sullivan, like things to value in game design, like core elements where if opposition is working, like one player's draw step doesn't matter for the rest of the game. Yeah. And- super miserable. And, and most of the text on the opposition players' cards don't matter because every creature is interchangeable. It, every creature is just one or more strip mines. And, like, that, that's And or fun. fogs. Yeah. Right, right. It's it's super miserable. That card is... Again, that's another one. It's like, if you want to do it in Vintage or Legacy, 
go for it, be nuts, but I would not put it in anything. Like, even if you have, like, a token theme in blue or whatever, mm-hmm. or another color, I would never put opposition because you want to actually have your cards do things, not just to lock your opponent completely out of the game. I think it's miserable. Yeah. Uh, the other one is Treachery, which is kind of the least offensive in terms of fun, but it's a little more deceptive because it feels like just a reasonable control magic a lot of the time on paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, In practice, it typically just like swings the game by such a huge margin and has this nasty habit of just like invalidating what you're trying to do with a cube. Mm -hmm. Like if you're doing Legacy, again, Legacy Vintage, whatever, it's not overrated in that aspect because it's just good cards and you're trying to play good decks. But if you're playing like a generically cube that you're trying to do stuff with or have themes with, I wouldn't want to put a card like Treachery in it because it's just... Oh, here's a generically powerful card. I draft in the generically powerful cubes that will make my deck generically powerful. It's just like, I mean, I don't, yeah, if you want to win, you can do that. But mm-hmm. if you're building a cube, I don't think it should be included in it because it's not doing anything special. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Treachery was going to be like one of my go-tos because I think it's an easy, like, oh, this is one of the greatest hits of magic. It's a five mana card that does a lot. Like everybody knows treachery, but it's just like every treachery turn in the history of cube has been disgusting. And you don't have to do anything to get to that point. It's just your opponent has to have played a halfway decent creature, which is not my favorite thing to punish. Yeah, like cards that... So I don't know if that I have like specific ones. Like those are really good examples of just cards that people put in because they are good, but they're like fundamentally unfun play experiences. And I think that's a really good metric is to like think about why you're putting a card into the cube and does it, what does it incentivize? What does it disincentivize? And is it fun to incentivize those things? And is the card actually fun when it comes, when it gets cast? And, you know, those are just good examples of cards that ultimately like, are not fun and they punish things that you don't want to punish people for doing. The the cards that are the worst things are cards that just don't fit into the cube, whether it's because they're a power level mismatch or they are doing something that subverts player expectations in a harmful way. So like, I think putting swords to plowshares in our mutate cube would be egregious because you would be set up to think that doing something is a good thing to do. And then you'd feel really stupid when somebody breaks apart your mutate stack with a one mana instant that they didn't have to do any work for. Same thing like with your with your artifact cube, you realize pretty quickly on like, okay, we can't have like a lot of manic vandals in the cube that ruins the experience and punishes people for doing the fun things that I want them to have fun doing. So yeah, it's not like drafting Manic Vandal is inherently bad because you do want some checks. It's just that like the amount of Manic Vandals in the cube was far too high. You Mm -hmm. could just like draft a Manic Vandal deck. Right. (laughs) And anyone who's trying to do the artifact stuff, the artifact cube just like got embarrassed for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and so, you know, you figure that out and you, you fix it. But it's just like make sure that you understand why the cards are in your cube and what they are what function they're performing so oh i've got another one actually in yeah the, in the more of the oko vein uh ashiok nightmare weaver is that the three mana one yeah 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 ashiok nightmare weaver that card is just egregious 
it's not really it's kind of like opposition where if it doesn't thing, you can't interact with it and it kills you really fast mm-hmm. and if it doesn't do its thing like it's too late in the game it just doesn't do anything at all and it's miserable right i think people have learned and nobody really puts jace memory adept in their cubes anymore so that you know that that's not a commonly seen one but you know don't put cards like that in either yeah mill card i see mill cards all the time in cubes uh, like the people are, why don't they just do mill and cubes? Mill's really good and limited. I mean, it is, but it's also not interactive or fun. Mm-hmm. So I always, I have one mill card that I have in my cube. It's uh, the artifact cube. It's grinding station. Cause that one you really have to work for to kill your opponent with. And mm-hmm. otherwise it's just an enabler for your stuff. Yeah. And there's a bunch of like, there are points of interaction along the way. If you start milling them with grinding station and then they find their shatter, like, you know, th- there's risks inherent in the whole thing. Yeah. You're just using resources to maybe not kill them. Mm-hmm. But I've seen fractured sanity in cubes and I'm just like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, that also reminds me. So I, I think a, a key like question for your cube and its power level is, uh, is fractured identity like too good in your cube and if it is you know in a a powerful cube like the legacy cube i think it's fine because there are really gross permanents and having good answers to them is fine if, if you're gonna have to have jace the mind sculptor and oko and stuff in your cube having fractured identity as a way to you know turn the tables on something that's been beating you it, it is nice if you're like heavily creature based and mid rangey and stuff like that, then maybe fractured identity is like too gross of a punish. Uh, it's not going to be as bad as treachery, but uh, it's one that shouldn't be an auto include because it is so backbreaking. Also, Narset as an auto include. Uh, mm. Narset part of Veils. That card is kind of okay. It's kind of played straight, where it's like two card draws, disrupts your opponent a little bit. But if there's anything that breaks the symmetry, like a wheel effect or whatever, uh, the card quickly becomes just like egregiously powerful. Yep. Yep. So just stay away from stuff that creates like unfun experiences mostly. Yeah. Like if you're building a cube and you want to play it for fun, try to have fun with it. Like like some people want to win and they'll build like venture legacy cubes and this doesn't really apply to that because if you just want to win you're just going to try to play the most powerful cards right mm-hmm. but if you want to have like fun game experiences which you can still do and try to win you probably want to curate it towards the fewest amount of non-games possible yep and low a low number of games where like a single play invalidates like the entire game up until that point yeah that's why i don't like splinter twin 2 mm-hmm. the like any any two card combo that instantly wins the game splinter twin just being the most egregious because it's a instant speed flash kind of deal like you don't know they have it until they kill you with it and <laughs> there's a very narrow window of interaction I, I truly dislike splinter twin in any cube i'm trying to have fun with yep i tend to agree favorite and least favorite mechanics of all time I mean, my least favorite mechanic is just going to be one of the, like, really forgettable ones, right? Probably. Um, I mean, like, this is a good spot to discuss, like, a thing that I've been thinking about a lot uh, and a thing that I think is important to consider 
when criticizing uh and I, I think there's a ton of legitimate criticisms for like fire philosophy or the power level of cards and that they are putting into modern or historic or whatever but like on a general like standard set by set basis like yeah Throne of Eldraine was really powerful and really messed up a lot of formats and that hurts and it's tough to get like cards banned out from under you but a deeper and truer failure is like multiple sets in a row that just suck and are uninteresting and like that is that's what you know that's an absolute like oh man we really screwed up and that's what will that will kill a game faster than anything else is if just stuff is boring and so that's why like my least favorite mechanics would just be like some of the forgotten like crappy ravnica block guild mechanics that like nobody ever thinks about anymore like i don't know what was what was the boros one like radiance or whatever you know just like garbage like that that just doesn't really deserve a a a keyword or an ability word name and is totally forgettable and like kind of useless it's just like you know this is dumb can i tangent off of ravnica from this question because i have things to say about ravnica yes (laughs) so i don't know if i have a least favorite mechanic of all time per se but i hate the way they do ravnica sets (laughs) The, the first ravnica block incredibly strong really really good uh, every Ravnica set after Dissension, forgettable and whatever. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, they just like stick to the original Ravnica formula so rigidly that it's uninteresting and bland and bad, honestly. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't need every guild to have its own unique mechanic and it's so little space to grow that you just like are better doing one off designs, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Strixhaven. Strixhaven did not have any school-specific mechanics. It had school-specific themes. Mm-hmm. Like, you had the pests. Like, I guess they all had various tokens. But black-green was, like, gaining life. Uh, Red-white was their weird Lord Hold crap. <laughs> <laughs> Quandrix had the generic Simic token plus one counter stuff. But they all didn't have named mechanics that were just tiny. They were just like broad and through the set. Mm. I feel like you could just do a Ravnica set the way you would do Shards of Alara. Yeah. Where you have distinct identities between the different factions, but they all connect. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to have uh Golgari has a dredge and Demir has mills. You can like mill into the dredge. That's like a thing you can do. And that makes sense. Way more sense than like Golgari has Undergrowth and Selesnia has Convoke and they just don't under overlap at all except for they're both creatures. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So maybe don't have be so pigeonholed into this whole one keyword per thing, really narrow focus and just like build a Ravnica set that makes sense <laughs> without having every guild need to have a named mechanic like that's just so unnecessary right and then the temptation becomes to make a lot of the cards in service of the named mechanic rather than like on actually unifying themes it's just like 
okay, well, now we have to shove in a certain... I mean, Convoke is a fantastic mechanic and, like... It's really good. It, really, really good. You know, but but once Convoke is your Selesnya mechanic, then it's just like, okay, well, then we have to have a certain number of token makers. We have to have a certain number of payoffs. Uh, and, and, and a lot of this failure, I think... Like, I, I'm going to keep using Convoke as an example because it's, like, one of the best mechanics I've ever done. Mm-hmm. It wants you to play with tokens, right? But one of the problems with the original Ravnica and the way they're using it going forward, they're just so strictly adherent to the original Ravnica that it would benefit Selesnya to have any other guild that can create tokens. It's just that none of them ever did in the original Ravnica, so none of them ever have sense. Mm-hmm. And you could, I could like easily imagine a world where the Simic mechanic is just around making tokens. You can flavor as experiments or whatever, like fractals. I, I don't care. Yeah. You can just have that be part of it. <laughs> but they're not. like, right f- For no reason other than that the original Ravnica didn't do it that way. And they have to copy it every single time we go back to Ravnica. Right. And then ultimately, and you know, this is how the first Ravnica worked. And it was like neat the first time around. Uh, but then it's like, and I mean, I guess this isn't going to happen again because we have standalone draft sets now. But, you know, first Ravnica, like the colors of your deck... You are always trying to be in like a group of three colors where you got a guild out of each pack. And like that was way more important than unifying themes between the guilds or like synergies or anything. Like I, I, you know, going back every time RGD comes back, people go, ooh, yeah, Ravnica was fun, right? And they play like one draft and like, oh, yeah, this is undraftable. This is horrible because uh, it just like after drafting modern design sets you know it it's just like this weird kind of on rails experience where you need to be in a color combination where you're getting gold cards out of each pack because those are so much more powerful than everything else and everything is a two for one so every game is just about two for one in your opponent harder than they two for one you back uh and it just like turns into this mess where like synergies don't matter just like raw cards and like raw card quality matters and that kind of it's not quite the same in the other Ravnica draft formats, but there is some some of that is left over where it's just like be in the right colors so that you're getting the quality gold cards out of the maximum number of packs kind of thing. Yeah, I, I'm kind of fine with that. I did mostly like it's hard to get away from a lot of that because I think gold sets, especially Ravnica sets, are going to be geared inherently towards card advantage type games anyway mm-hmm. the only Ravnica draft set that isn't like that is get crash which is a super aggro format yeah because blood rush is one of the mechanics <laughs> and you just can't block when that's one of the mechanics yeah which uh, is its own set of problems yeah i mean honestly that is my favorite Ravnica set to draft so <laughs> right i but like that only lasts so long before it's like okay yeah this is the format where everybody has two or three giant gross in their hand at all times where they're the, like punks playing Esper or whatever because they opened a Blood Baron, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is an unbeatable magic card. <laughs> but yeah, I just I just want to see more cohesive Ravnica sets, not have them be like all pockets of narrow mechanics. Mm-hmm. So I think that really hurts, especially since it feels like designs from 2005. We just keep getting every five years or whatever instead of designs from 2020. Right. And the fact that they have to like, hey, this is the new take on guild mages. There's 10 of them here. Like, did we did we need that again? 
Probably not, but you better give me those shock lands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and everybody's automatically going to be happy every time there's a Ravnica because we get shock lands in standard. <laughs> yeah, basically. If any other set gives shock lands, that's my new favorite set. Yep. And I would love to have some shock land art from different planes that isn't set on, that isn't from secret layers. It's funny that they so intentionally made the shock lands. They're like, okay, we've learned our lesson from former, like, from other dual lands. From Shivan Reef. Yeah. We're going to make these so they can fit on any plane. And then they just never executed on that. And then they, like, continued making. You, now we have, like, Razor Verge Thicket that we can never put into another set. Like, they did that again afterward. And I. I Come on. Do you have a favorite mechanic? Hmm. Oh, Cascade's one of my least favorite mechanics. There you go. That's really fair. Favorite mechanic. Does it have to be like a named keyword mechanic? Nope. Because my favorite like general thing, uh, especially in limited formats, is sacrifice decks. That's a good answer. You know, anytime. And I love to draft this like on Arena Cube and stuff like Stitcher Supplier is one of my favorite cards in the Arena Cubes. Uh, and, and so I just generally like anything where I can make synergies with Priest of Forgotten Gods and Woe Striders and Grim Initiates and, and whatnot. So that's that's oh so that's that's my like one of my favorite general areas, especially for limited and cube stuff, is uh tokensy, sacrificey, you know, fit a threaten in there too to really really put the hurt on your opponent and turn some tempo around that space is really appealing to me i thought about it a bit and my favorite mechanic is haste (laughs) (laughs) i just love playing a creature and put it into place that way it's like one of the most powerful mechanics oh yeah it definitely is but it's also super fun there's a lot you could do with it so like kiki jiki has haste but i don't attack with that card it's true (laughs) you're probably attacking with something on that turn though Oh, yeah, almost certainly. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like Arclight Phoenix so much. Just because the combination of haste and flying is such an incredibly powerful combination of creature keywords. Yeah, anytime. I also like putting, like, prized amalgams into play. Anything, anytime I can put anything onto the battlefield tapped, I feel very good. <laughs> well, except for lands. Uh, Fair, yes. Not lands. Just creatures, mostly. Yeah. Though I don't mind a door to nothingness every now and then. Sure. Probably not a Sky Shroud Behemoth either. That's not really quite the same feeling. Mm, no, that card should not go to play tapped. <laughs> I'm more of a Crozen Cloud Scraper kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Morph up that 13. Thir- that's a 13 13, right? I believe so. But it's not an Innistrad, so how can it be? <laughs> yeah, it is. Nice. Wow, this one's water legal. I didn't realize that. <laughs> it's time shifted. <laughs> well, that's any more a- questions you want to hit? or That's all of them. Great. I suppose we should wrap things up. Unless you got anything else you want to get to. On this busy, busy week? Uh, no, no, I don't. I think we had everything. Somehow. Uh, everything on the nothing going on whatsoever. The gestures at empty show notes document. <laughs> well, I hope people enjoyed this. I really appreciate y'all listening to us rambling about the things we find fun, which is, you know, basically what every episode is, but at its core why we are doing this <laughs> some a little more focused than others but yeah yeah um, but thanks for listening we do really really appreciate your time 
If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can find us on social media. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. That is where you can find the cubes you are talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for listening and have a great week. Bye.